Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of, the, out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and, he, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence." nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Well, welcome to Conversing with the Text. Um, it's been a long time coming. Uh, today, we will uh, be doing something a little differently. Um, we usually are in Genesis, and we've not done that for a couple months, and my schedule's just not allowed me to do any podcasts Um I regret that. I, I'm hoping that um, time will be um, freeing up a little bit now. But we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, maybe maybe not. Um, might might have to do once a month uh, rather than once a week as I had been doing in the past. Um, and and we're gonna we're gonna take a, just a few moments today to discuss uh, the need to follow along with the church calendar and it, at least uh, to some degree. You know, not not fully. I don't use the the lectionary uh, fully, and I don't allow it to choose my uh, text of scripture generally. Um, but, you know, at least in some degree, and then we'll talk about the death of Christ, 
Um, because it, you know, being Good Friday, that that should be where our mind is set set on. Um, so let's let's just kind of jump right in. Uh, many many people in reform circles have kind of shunned the church calendar uh, uh, or what we would call the lectionary. Uh, they claim that it is not commanded, so we, sh- it's, you know, we shouldn't have any holy days whatsoever. Um, they say it's uh, it is Romish or it's uh, you know uh, from the papal. Uh, side of things, and and they they claim it's kind of you know going back in that direction, back back to Rome. They claim that these days are based on uh, pagan holidays, and so these are the main objections that we get. You know, um, you'll hear some men say, "Well, I you know I, I'm I hold to the regulative principle, and so I don't believe that we should um, have any holidays. We didn't shouldn't celebrate anything like that." So uh, there have been several men who have taken up. Um, this this discussion uh, of late, um, two two of my favorite uh, are James Jordan and Douglas Wilson. In fact, um, they have they have some stuff on their uh, media sites that, that you could go to to look at these. In fact, um, Theopolis the the Theopolis podcast a couple years ago actually went through the lectionary uh, each day uh, per week or each week. Um, so if like this week would have been Holy Week, so they'd have, they'd have covered all you know seven days uh, of Holy Week from Palm Sunday to to this coming Sunday um, to discuss it. But you know, I, I want to point out just a few things that should help us see the need for the church calendar. Um, for, first, the first thing that we need to think about is that God, our God, is an orderly God and not a God of confusion, and so. We we look at the we look at the revelation um, that that is our God. This is our you know the Bible is our um, it is our standard. It is our authority. It is the only rule for faith and practice. Period. So, but when we say that you know we Presbyterians and and us Reformed Baptists both hold to um, to co- I mean to uh, confessions. We're confessional, and we know that those things aren't authorities. Uh, as it were, but we do use them in such ways sometimes. You know, they're 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 a rule, uh, they're a guide, they help us. Well, the lectionary is, is is very similar to that. And then too, we've got to to think about if God is orderly, then our first assumption when we come to any change, we we should expect continuity rather than discontinuity. So when we uh, and we struggle with this for for one main reason and. And you know, yeah, yeah. A lot of times we we treat uh, a certain group of Christians as as our whipping dog. They're blamed for everything, right? So it's the dispensationals' fault, right? It's 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 that most of us today have come from some dispensational background or another. Now that's not true, right? Like of our Lutheran brothers or our Episcopal brothers. The, um, they're they're usually most of them are not dispensational. In their thinking of how they, and I'm not talking about eschatology. I'm just talking about the way that we come at the scriptures. And so, with the dispensationalist, it's the expectation that is God is constantly changing the way He deals with His people. And so, there's seven or nine, depending on what class of dispensational you are. I grew up dispensational, and I grew up with this understanding that God, God changed things drastically um, with with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and and to a certain extent, that is true, but they're all stated changes, right? So 
there's a there is a there's a clear place in tech in the text of scripture where we can go to and say, look, this is where God changed. This no longer applies. We no longer need the temple system. We no longer need ceremonial laws. Anything tied to the ceremonies uh, and the ceremonial law has been set aside. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled them. He they were all pointing to him. All the sacrifices, all the feast days. Uh, all the new moon Sabbaths, all those were pointing to Jesus. So we don't we don't need to do those things as a rule. So that doesn't mean that doesn't mean if you want to you know celebrate Hanukkah that you can't do that. Um, there are men in the Reformed circles who who do that. Um, you know if you if you want to have uh, a Seder meal and teach uh, Jesus from the Seder meal, man, more power to you. That's great. Um, we we have been threatening our congregation for years to have um, a messianic uh, Christian to come in and and one uh, one evening do a, a seder meal and go through all that for us. Um, I don't know that we'll ever get that done, but that's that that's we've been threatening that for years. So that's fine. Um, but so when we come to when we come to the Old Testament, what we find is that the whole year is laid out for the believer. Like, so, so there's, at the Passover, this is the first, this is the first month of the year for you. This is the new year. God said, I'm changing things. I'm changing things so that you will recognize that these, that you belong to me, that you're a particular people. You know, everybody else has their own calendar, but you have yours. You know, everybody has one calendar, but you have a particular calendar that you're to follow. And we see that the feast days and the sacrifices are laid out. Now, when we come to the New Testament, again, we, that should be our assumption. The assumption should be continuity, not discontinuity, unless God tells us something different. Especially when a lot of the things that we're seeing there, you know, God is, is telling us um, is, is to point, it's memorials, it's it's this, that, and the other. So God. So my first argument is we should we should try to structure our year according to the the Bible, according to the church calendar. Because uh, as Douglas Wilson is is uh, well known to say, it's not whether it's which you're going to you're going to do this right. We will base our year around some calendar. So think about this. You you set up your your um, your vacations uh, around uh, certain days of the year. You know, you maybe it's your birthday, maybe it's your anniversary, maybe you and your wife decide y'all were going to go uh, every year to a certain spot and have a couple days just to yourself because of your anniversary. Well, that's that's setting aside a day. You you may go to the beach. Um, you know, we're we're near beautiful uh, Myrtle Beach. Uh, or dirty myrtle, it's, it's not around here. Uh, but you, you may, you may, that may be your spot. It is mine. That's what I mean. You know, I'm a nostalgia guy. I love Myrtle Beach. Um, and so that you know, you may, you may set it up around uh, a holiday. You may be maybe this is the Fourth of July for me. It's it's um, Labor Day. We would we would rather much rather go down after everybody's leaving, so it's not so crowded. And but. You there's there's you know you you possibly are going to do that. You have birthday celebrations. You and your family gets together on birthdays and uh, on Thanksgiving and uh, you know Christmas and and those things. So you're you're going to have a calendar. 
you're you're going to have a calendar that is going to instruct you and inform your life and how you live your life. What my argument is, it should be the calendar that the church has traditionally used. It is, um, and and I think what's happened here historically, we have had this problem where uh, we we take the word tradition and we we make it a bad. It's a four letter word. Tradition is a four letter word. But we have to understand that Paul Paul praises some of the churches in several different places for holding to the traditions that he handed down to them. So not all traditions wrong, not all traditions bad. And just because one group of people who we consider to be out of the will of God uh, does certain things in certain ways doesn't mean that those certain things are all bad, right? Um, this is, again, not, not a road back to Rome, but we want to make sure that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? And then we see in Romans 14, 5, that it's not sinful to, uh, to regard days or to esteem them, as, as my translation uh, says. It says, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Like each, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So, okay, so... The third and most important thing is it's not sin to set aside certain days, right? Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not sinful to celebrate things. Now, if it was, here's the thing that we've got to get into our heads. If it was, it is sinful to celebrate birthdays. You know, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses are right. Quit celebrating birthdays. Quit celebrating your child's birthday. Quit, quit celebrating your anniversary, Right? All days are to be regarded as the same. Well, that Paul says that's not true. Some don't. Some, some regard, uh, they esteem them. Or they, I don't know, I think it's New American Standard uh, in my head that, that keeps making me want to use the word regard. Some, some men esteem days, uh, some days higher than others. They're, they're, more, they're more to be regarded. They're more to be uh, looked for. So, um, so th- that's just really quick. When it wasn't as quick as I thought it was going to be, <laughs> but that was that's really quick. Just how we are to to regard um, that that we can that we can look at the church calendar, and we're gonna we're gonna look at a calendar. Some calendar is going to structure our life, and we should expect that God uh, is uh, not a God of confusion, and 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 so He wants us He wants us to structure our lives some way, and it, it seems from the Old Testament. And then there's the argument that we have gone from being uh, priests uh, and the church is maturing. We went from, from priests who had to have everything told to them like Abraham, Abraham did. You know, God said he was constantly speaking to Abraham, revealing stuff to him. And then when we get to Isaac, he doesn't speak to him a whole lot, and he never speaks to Joseph. When we get to that place, um, you know, he, he talks a little bit to to. Isaac and a little less to Jacob, and then he doesn't speak to Joseph at all. Why? Because Joseph was a mature man. Joseph had he he was so in tune with the will of God that he didn't need instruction, and that's where the church is today. And so, when you say, "Well, it doesn't tell us to do this," well, yeah, but we're not priests where we have to have minute little instructions about everything. We've matured. We're maturing, and so we don't need that. We can we can do these things. Uh, regarding God in all things, uh, so that we don't sin against Him, and we and we can and we can then um, add these things. All right. So 
from that, let's look at the the uh, the lectionary. So, uh, as regards the lectionary and the reading of for Good Friday, there are four texts: Isaiah fifty two thirteen through fifty three twelve, which I read at the beginning of the podcast, and then there's Psalm twenty two, which we will read a portion of later. Uh, here in a moment, and then John eighteen one through nineteen forty two. Now this is, um, this is the full day. This is Jesus's full day uh, on Good Friday, starting um, with his rest in Gethsemane and leading up to his actual death. Uh, I'm not going to read that on the podcast. Um, I would stumble through it, and it would take a long time. I I really encourage you to read it. Maybe read it with your family today. Um or tonight before you go to bed, and just think about the day you had compared to the day that Christ suffered. And then there's several readings in Hebrews. Um, there, um, there is um, Hebrews. Uh, you could have done uh, Hebrews 10, 16 through 25, or, or the ones we're going to do is 4, 14 through 16, and 5, 7 through 9. Uh, and it seems, if you read through this, it seems that the focus, sorry about that, moved away from the mic, the, the focus is on the, uh, on the suffering servant and on Christ's priesthood. Um, we will see this uh, really clearly in Isaiah 22, dealing with Christ's suffering. But um, there's also a connection, uh, this, there's a connection, a great connection that, to be seen in, uh, in Psalm 22, um, 16 through 18, which reads, For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked have en- enclosed me, they pierce my hands and my feet, I, cannot, I can count my bones, they look and stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And of course, this is clearly the scene at the cross. This is, this is the things that's going on um, we we'll read uh, we'll read that more clearly in uh, when we when we read some of John uh, in just a minute. Uh, so so here's the connection, right? Uh, it is in the garments and the things that happened to them. Uh, we get this in the clothes that the high priest was wearing in his normal duty, and 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 that he was to wear and what he was to wear rather during the uh, atonement sacrifice. So in in Exodus twenty eight two we are told that Aaron's garments were to be for beauty and for glory, for beauty and for glory. Um, well, we've lost that, haven't we? But 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 the the high priest he he was to wear he was to wear the breastplate and the tunic and uh, the ephod and the uh, the turban with the gold plate and he was to have the linen trousers on. And 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 they were all to be for beauty and to and for glory. They were multicolored and beautiful, with fine, made of fine linen, right? And he wore this during his normal everyday things, right? But when Aaron or any of the high priests would do the atonement sacrifice, he was to lay these garments aside and put on simple linen trousers and a linen tunic. They were simple and meager. Now they're called holy. Because they were they were made uh, they were made to make this you know for him to to make the sacrifice in, but they were they were just meager, humble. Then once the sacrifice was given, the garments were taken back, 
right? So James Jordan points out that this is what Christ did. Um, his undivided, seamless uh, garment, uh, his undivided, seamless tunic, uh, we see in John nineteen twenty three. There, they're they're casting lots for it because it is it's made in one piece. It's it's a, a tunic that that has no seam in it. It's not it's not joined together anywhere. It's just one whole piece. And it seems as we read Exodus twenty three that the the tunic of the high priest was also uh, seamless. Uh, as I read it again this morning, I get this thought of this idea of it being uh, like a poncho. You know, it has a hole in the middle for his head to slip through, and it's and it's uh, and it's uh, it's got a it's 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 sewn up so it won't rip. And uh, and again, that points that the not ripping it. Um, so it's easy. It's it, it's easily seen then uh, that the change of the priest in Leviticus sixteen twenty four. So what would happen is the high priest would go uh, into the tent of meeting and he would take off uh, the garments that were for beauty and for glory and he would lay them aside and he would put on these meager linen garments that would make him virtually naked. And then, then he would go and he would do the atonement sacrifice and he would carry the blood for the people into the holy place, in the most holy place. And he would pour it out on the altar and he would, around the altar and he would, I mean not the altar but the ark, and he would sprinkle the mercy seat seven times with blood. And uh, so he would do that uh, for himself and for the people. Then when he was finished, uh, he would he would he would lay aside those garments in a holy place, and then he would wash his body, and he would then take back on the the beauty and glory tunic, and then make a burnt or an ascension offering, right? So, so what what we see. Um, when, when the resurrection happens, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Christ, put back on the glory he had laid aside. And then, and then this helps us to understand that our, that our translation of or, or our understanding of the burnt offering, what it's for, what it represents to us, is an ascending unto God by God's people, by the worshiper, right? Um, we covered that a little bit, uh, I think, several months ago. And, and, you know, and, and when we come into worship, we're making sacrifices of praise and prayer. We're ascending unto God. And so this was them ascending into, in, in smoke unto God. Um, and so he would do the ascension sacrifice for both himself and the people. Well, now, okay, so himself first and then the people. So then we see this order again when Jesus ascends to the Father uh, and he's coming back for us to ascend to him when he returns. Uh, so, um, and then, and we, and we see that this, uh, this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get at in, in the reading there. Um, so, so in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we read, See then that we have... Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And then 7 through 9 reads of chapter 5, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So this, this is what we need to think about. Think about the fact that, that God the Son was clothed in flesh and that he walked as a man and he lived for 30-some-odd years as a perfect, perfect, obedient servant of God, right? As our, not only our example, but for our righteousness, right? So, so uh, next, the next time I preach, which will be May the 1st, uh, after this Sunday, and we're going to be on the resurrection this Sunday, but the next time I'm in, in Genesis, you know, that, that's something that, that um, we're going to see uh, we, we see the first example in chapter 15 of Genesis uh, of, of God counting someone, being told that he counts someone righteous. Now, he, we know that, of course, the saints before Abraham were counted righteousness by faith, but it's explained to us. We get this example. That righteousness that Abram received in chapter 15 of Genesis is the righteousness that Jesus Christ earned while he walked on the earth. And you go, what? How's that possible? Genesis is before you know Matthew. It's 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 before Jesus was a man. Well, now you're starting to reason like a Jew, like a like a Pharisee. You're not even fifty years old. Who are you saying you are? Well, he's God, and he's above time, and he's above time as Jesus the Christ, because he is God incarnate, and so then now he is taking on those attributes, and he can stand above time and go where he wants to. And so Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. How? Well, he saw the Christ. He saw the Son of the living God. He saw the Son of Man in his glorified form. And, and so this high priest, he came and he made atonement sacrifice, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of his precious son, right? By himself laying his own life down. And then, and then glory to God in three days, he cel- we celebrate Easter, right? Uh, we, we, will, we, will, we will celebrate uh, that he's risen. And we can, we can say, you know, with, with John, he's risen indeed. He's risen indeed. Um, we have this we have this hope and and you see we are pointed to these these little things these little things that we sometimes miss and don't think about when we go to the lectionary and we see all these texts of scripture picked out we go what are they pointing to what what are what are these what are they what are they trying to get at what is it oh i see the priesthood and the suffering it's the suffering servant 
who is our high priest. He has been an atonement sacrifice. He made himself to be so, and his suffering has made us whole. His suffering has made us whole. So we we see from this simple and not too in-depth reading of the lectionary passages how this helps us to tie many things together. I hope this uh, has helped you to enrich for you the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for sinners of whom we are chief. If you don't know him as Savior, I call on you right now to repent and believe the gospel. Um, And I hope that you will ponder these things as you worship with your church on this Lord's Day. If you are in Cherokee or Cleveland County um, uh, of North and South Carolina, respectively, if you're in Cleveland County, North Carolina, or Cherokee County, South Carolina, and you are looking for a place to worship and build community, come join us at Holly Ridge Presbyterian Church this Sunday. Our services uh, start at um, 1030. We're at uh, 658 Tribal Road, Blacksburg, South Carolina. All are welcome. May God bless, and may we walk in a manner worthy of Christ to please God. Happy Easter.